Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, I'm really excited about our sermon today. Our student director, Alan Walorio, is going to be preaching for us today. And y'all, I'm excited about the message he has for us. He's continuing in our Acts series where we're, uh, we're titling You Are Sent. And really, his message is almost like part two of the message from last week that we had uh, with Peter and Cornelius. I'm so excited about what he's going to be bringing to us. And listen, I'm going to tell you, uh, Alan's newer to our team and our student ministry is really starting to ramp up here at Mercy Church. So if you are a family with middle and high school students, want to make sure that you connect with Alan at some point here soon, okay? Uh, you can do that right up on our website. Uh, the Mercy Students page is very easily accessible, and you can see what it is that we're doing. Even during this COVID time where ministry looks so different, we're still ramping up around here with our student ministry and are excited about uh, what is happening among the lives of our middle and high school students. So I'm going to stop there because I want to I get Alan's word to you this morning. So Alan, why don't you come preach for us, man? We're so glad that you're here. Thank you so much. I am so excited and so glad to be here this morning to share the word of the Lord with you. And we're going to be in Acts 11, uh, starting from 19 to 26. If you don't know this about me, I was born and raised in Kenya. My, my wife and I moved to to the States in 2014 to go to seminary. I went to seminary in Texas. And we've been in Charlotte since December. And apart from the quarantine, we're really having a good time. And we're really having a blessed time here at Mercy. Uh, like I said, today we're going to be in Acts 11, 19 to 26. And <clears throat> as I was reading this text, I was just confronted by how easily we, we, can, we can romanticize persecution. And the thing about persecution is it's, it's, it's painful and, and it's, it's, it's just destructive. I remember back in 2007 uh, when in Kenya there was post-election violence and when this violence just broke out, it was very tribal and it was very political. Uh, around a thousand people lost their lives. Half a million people were, were, were just displaced in their own country. You see, their lives were just destroyed. And I'm telling you this story, not to just give you a sad story, but to give you something else, a point uh, that left a, a, an impression on me, okay? I've, I've, I've always known my grandmother to be a Christian. But during this period, I, I saw her do something that demonstrated to me that indeed she was a Christian. This is what happened. You see, my grandmother opened her house to a family of five that, has, that had been kicked away by, by their friends. You see, these five individuals had to run away from your homeland because their neighbors, who they had grown up with, they had shared meals with, had turned to be their foe. 
And as they ran away, they, they came to my grandmother's house and she opened her house and they ended up staying with us for more than a year. And that to me spoke uh, just an enormous, enormous uh, emphasis of, of how my grandmother was a Christian. Uh, part of the problem with Christianity today is we tend to set the limits to our faith. We're willing to go as far as our comfort level will let us go. We are not willing to follow Jesus uh, to the unknown and just humbly trust that he will take care of us. I want to encourage you this morning not to set limits to your faith. I know you desire to, to be used by God to transform your neighborhood, to transform uh, your, your, your city, to transform uh, the entire world. And God can use you and wants to use you. As we unpack this passage in Acts 11, I want you to see the main characters. You will see a group of believers that were self-centered. And you will also see another group that was Christ-centered. And you will see clearly how the lives of a Christ-centered Christian folk was transformed and how these people transformed the life of the people in the city of Antioch. We will make three observations and then after that we'll have three applications. So if you have your Bible with you, would you please open it up and let's go to Acts 11 and we'll start from verse 11. If you're there, you can say amen. I will not hear it, but your neighbor will hear it. Amen. Verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Here's what is going on here. Stephen, a man filled with the Holy Spirit of God, was stoned for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ. Persecution broke out and all who believed in the Lord Jesus fled to different parts of the Roman Empire. So as we read here, some of them ran in as far as Phoenicia. Some went to Cyprus and some went to Antioch. It's important to remember that at this point, Christianity was a very Jewish-centric movement. And so as some of these men were fleeing from persecution, they did what was comfortable. They spoke the word to Jews. They spoke the word to no one else except the Jews because that was comfortable. Now, before we're too quick to judge, because, you know, as a society, we, we love judging, right? So we're quick to judge. These, these men were speaking only to Jews. We need to remember they were in the midst of persecution and maybe they were scared of the Gentiles. But remember, the Lord had told disciples in Acts 1, 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus had commissioned his followers to share the good news of salvation, but these men, the first group, did not follow through. They failed. They did not follow through. They let their cultural bias dictate who they would claim the good news of salvation to. And if you're honest, we sometimes fail to share the, good, the gospel with people who don't look like us, who don't think like us, believe the same way we do, and the list goes on, because we are scared of the baggage they might bring. Just think about this. If they become Christian, uh, I might have to eat their food. 
You know, I might, I might have to be seen by my friends, my cool friends, hanging around these people. I might have to learn a different language. Uh, and don't forget, they might influence our culture. My wife is a white girl from Texas. And we met in Kenya. She had been doing uh, mission work there. And she tells me funny stories about her interaction with our culture. Uh, one of those stories is how frustrating it was for her when people didn't show up on time. In Africa, we have this saying that we say, you know, it's African time. Just everything is easy. You come when you can. If you set up a meeting for 9.30, people show up at 10. Eh, it's okay, you know. So my wife was frustrated. Uh, she's there, ready with her notes, and nobody is there. And then, when they show up, they want to stay for two hours after the Bible study is done. What is going on right now? Uh, if she had plans, she has to cancel those plans. And she had to learn how to serve in a culture where time was not of the essence. You see, Jesus doesn't call us to do what is comfortable and easy when it comes to sharing the gospel. He calls us to radical obedience. In fact, in Matthew 5.47, Jesus says it this way. He says, if you greet only your brothers and sisters, who, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even Gentiles do the same. And here's where uh, the second group of believers come in. Luke tells us in verse 20, and if you're tracking with me, let's go to verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. When you think of great movements, what do you think of? You think of great men and women of those movements. You can name names. You can find all kinds of information about these great people. But here in Acts, we do not get to know the names of these men who God used to start the first multi-ethnic church. All we get from Luke, who is the author of Acts, is some of them. No first name, no last name, not even who they are, apart from where they came from, just them. Can you imagine that? Just them. These unnamed men from Cyprus and Cyrene were so Christ-focused. They did not let the cultural differences between them and the Gentiles stop them from proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. It is important to note that it wasn't the Greeks. And by the way, this time, Greek is also, is here used to mean Gentile. This separate other, not the same as the Jews, having nothing to do with the Jews. It wasn't the Gentiles who sought the believers. It was the believers who sought the Gentiles. These believers did not wait to be approached by the Gentiles. They did not wait for an invite. They went out and preached the gospel to the Gentiles. But not only that, they preached the, the gospel to Jewish people as well. The text says to the Greek also, which means they preached to the Gentiles in addition to the Jews. Our first observation here is the gospel is always for all people. The gospel is for all people. Tony Merida says it this way. We must be involved with people. We have to learn how to live faithfully, sensibly, soberly, wisely, graciously, and winsomely among those who are far from God. We're in a war, and war is never fought by escapism. 
It requires engagement for the good of those we are engaging. This means we can't just sit in our corner and wait for those far from God to come to us. We have to jump over the fence, go to the other side and seek them out. We, 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 we have to go past our likes and dislikes and taste and preferences and, and realize the world needs what we have. And the Lord of the harvest has sent us out to proclaim the good news of salvation. Now, what happens next? It's just amazing. We see how God blesses the efforts of these men. Listen to how God responded to this radical obedience in, in, in verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. This is beautiful. Antioch was the, was the third largest uh, city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. It, it had a population of about maybe half a million people. It, it was an epic center for idol worship. And all kinds of ungodly activity was there. Kind of sounds like a modern day big city today, right? People here were, were, were so far from God, like really far from God. It, 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 it sounds, like I say, like a big city today. But what happened when believers radically obeyed Christ and engaged the culture around them without discriminating? A large number who believed turned to the Lord. This just fires me up. Do you know why it fires me up? Because it means if we radically obey Christ and engage in evangelism, the Lord's hand will be with us and we You and I can see a large number of people turning to the Lord. Because the same God who opened the eyes of the people in Antioch back then is the same God who wants and is willing and wants to change the hearts of people right here, right now in our city. So this fires me up. As we go into our daily activities, even in the midst of of being quarantined, we have to bring these people who are far from God, who are in the darkness, we have to bring them to Jesus because he is the light of the world. And we have to do this without making any, any, any ethnic, cultural, socioeconomic, uh, uh, political, or even nationality distinctions. Just share the gospel. And then embrace the brothers and sisters as brothers and sisters in Christ. And when I say embrace, I don't mean lip service. We don't need lip service anymore. I mean real Christian love that is authentic and sacrificial. That's the kind of, of, of embrace that, that changes the world. And here is our second observation. Because the gospel is always for all people, then we should expect the church to be diverse but united. Listen, the emphasis here is unity, not uniformity. Uh, now, up to this point, we see the church in Antioch is growing and it's diverse. It's, it's made up of Jewish people who are fleeing persecution, Jewish people who are native to Antioch. And then we have the, the Gentile native to Antioch. Uh, we can say the church resembled the cosmopolitan city of Antioch. And this is what led to what we will see next. Uh, please, if you're still tracking with me, go to verse 22. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the, to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit 
end of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Acts 4 tells us of a man called Joseph, who the apostles called Barnabas. And he was really generous. He sold a piece of land and he gave the money, the proceeds to the church so that the church can grow. And he, he just helped the gospel go farther. And this is, a, this is just a by the way. Some of you, God is going to give a, a generosity like that of Barnabas. And this generosity is going to propel the gospel farther. This is how mercy is going to take the gospel to the ends of the world. Because some of you, God is going to bless with that kind of generosity. But like I said, that's not the point of the story. Just a side note. The sending of Barnabas is such an act of God's grace to this new church. And by the way, this word grace, we use it a lot of times. This, this word means undeserved favor. You didn't do anything to deserve God's favor. It's, it's through grace. The church in Jerusalem could have sent anyone else. They had a lot of people. Remember, 120 people uh, were filled with the Holy Spirit and then 5,000 people accepted. They had a lot of people they could have sent, but they sent Barnabas. You see... He did not have the cultural baggage that some of the believers in Jerusalem had. He was born and raised in Cyprus, which means he grew up with Gentiles. Barnabas is the kind of person you want as a friend. He was filled with the Spirit. He had faith in the Lord, which means he had a deep abiding trust in Christ. And he was generous and encouraging. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build each other up. That's precisely what Barnabas was doing. He saw the numbers of people that are being saved. He saw the diversity of the church. And he saw the hand of the Lord on the church. And what does he do? He realizes that this is the work of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with these people. And he encouraged the multi-ethnic church to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Because he was Christ-centered. Luke tells us Barnabas did what he did because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. One commentator says it this way, the spiritual reality or the spiritual qualities of Barnabas was obvious to the Jerusalem church. No wonder they sent him to Antioch. And again, we see the Lord blessing the Christ-centered faith of his people. Verse 24 tells us a large, large numbers of people were added to the Lord. It's like the same thing that happened in our previous verses. The people get up, they do the work of the Lord, they are focused on, on evangelism, they are focused on loving people, and what does the Lord do? He adds a large number of people to the congregation. Barnabas comes into Antioch, he sees what the Lord is doing, he doesn't care about eth ethnicity bias, he just sees the work of the Lord and he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to encourage these people to continue doing what they're already doing. And how does the Lord respond? He adds people into the church. He saves people. That's like a pattern we're seeing, which leads us to the third point, third and last observation. Followers of Jesus watch out for each other to provoke love and good works. Barnabas did not stop and just encourage in the church. He also did something else that would help the church in Antioch, but also help spread the, the, the Christian message all over the world. Look at what happens in verse 25 through to 26. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. 
the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. You see, one of the things that happens here is Barnabas recognizes that even though the church is growing and the believers were fired up for evangelism, they needed to be taught the word of God so that their faith can grow even stronger. They needed to be taught. He recognized that. After all, there's something in the, in the Great Commission about teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. Jesus said that. And so, after recognizing this, he recognized the second thing, that he could not be able to take this task of training the church by himself. And so, he went to Tarsus to look for Paul. And it's not like he knew exactly where to find Paul, by the way. Uh, the word here that is used in translated search has the idea of hunting or tracking down. The last time we saw Paul was in Acts 9, when the brothers sent him to Tarsus. Barnabas must have remembered what the Lord had said in Acts 9.15. This man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. And so he went out and tracked him down. And for an entire year, Paul and Barnabas taught the church in Antioch. And in the middle of this teaching, something amazing happens. You cannot miss this. This is beautiful. The disciples were first called Christians. You see, their faith was so evident in Antioch that people called them Christians. They did not call themselves Christians. Other people saw how they lived their lives, the word that they were speaking, how they were generous, how diverse they were. And when people saw that picture, what they saw was Christ. And so they called them Christians. This means... Or this word, Christian, can be understood to mean Christ folk, like Christ, little Christ, or followers of Christ. The people in Antioch used this at first to ridicule the believers because they reminded them of Christ. And, and I can't just help but pray that our lives would reflect so much of Jesus that people would look at us and just call us Christians. One commentator said, that they not only talked about Christ, but also resembled him in their actions. It was evident to all that they belonged to Christ. Here's the thing that is so evident in this text. These men were Christ-focused. They had a faith that was Christ-centered. They did not have it easy, and they did not have it all together, but they followed Christ and rested in him. Regardless of persecution and cultural differences, they lived in such radical obedience and limitless faith. So how does this look for us? How does it look like for us? And let me tell you, it pretty much looks the same. But let's break it down a little bit. Have some application points for us this morning. First, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We have to rest in the finished work of Christ. I'm convinced that most of us have limited faith because we are still holding on to the feelings of brokenness and past mistakes. You see, you have been saved by Christ. You need to hold on to that. He has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. And in him, there is your salvation. You are saved. It's important for you to remind yourself this truth, this ultimate truth every day. 
Be in the word. Stay in communion with other believers, especially during this season where, we're, where loneliness and isolation can lead us to dwell on who we used to be instead of who we are right now in Christ, saved and not condemned. That is what you need to preach to yourself. Preach the gospel to your soul. After you have preached the gospel to your soul, then you have to proclaim the gospel to the lost. If we understand that all humanity needs salvation and no one else can save other than Jesus Christ, then we have to proclaim the gospel. Paul asks in Romans 10, 14, how then can they call on him that they have not believed in and how can they believe without hearing about him? This means you and I have to proclaim the good news of salvation. And just like the men in Acts 11, we have to make sure that we are proclaiming the gospel to all people. And not just those who look like us. We have to be intentional to reach out to those people who are outside our comfort zone. I encourage you to continue praying for your one. And ask the Lord to give you the boldness and the opportunity to share the gospel to them. As we, as we preach the gospel to ourselves and proclaim the gospel to the lost, we must make sure that we're not just talking about it, but we're also demonstrating the gospel. And that's our last application point. Demonstrate the gospel to everyone. Jesus says this in, in Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before others so that you so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This means, parents, we will have to exercise some grace, especially in this time when we just want to send our kids into their bedrooms forever. Like, don't come out. Just stay in there. Never come out. Let me tell you when quarantine is done. We have to exercise some grace. Students, we, we need to make an effort to help out in the house, around the house, and be gracious with our words and, and our attitude. It, it means we have to reach out to our neighbors and find out if they need something, you know? Sharing a roll of toilet paper right now might be the most Christ-demonstrating thing you can do. And maybe that's what you need to do. And so I encourage you to demonstrate the gospel by loving those around you with this kind of of Christ-centered love that gives and steps into the unknown and the uncomfortable because Christ did it and we can too because he has empowered us with his spirit. The Holy Spirit lives with us. So as we preach the gospel to ourselves, as we proclaim the gospel to the lost, then we will demonstrate and I promise you the Lord will add a large number to those who are being saved. So what we're going to do now is we're going to step into a time of prayer like we have been doing throughout this season. And I have three prayer points for us to pray through. I encourage you to just take some time and just pray through these prayer, prayer points. The first prayer point that we have is thank the Lord for Christ's work in your life.
as we continue praying, um, now it's a good time to pray for boldness and opportunity to share the gospel with your one. And now lastly, ask the Lord to give you opportunity to demonstrate the gospel. Specifically, I would say, ask the Lord to give you a practical opportunity to demonstrate the gospel. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for life. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you for everything that you're teaching us, even in this season. Lord, we know that you are in control and everything is in your hands. And so we pray that you would continue to help us hear the gospel through your word. Help us to proclaim the gospel to the lost. And Lord, would you give practical ways that we can demonstrate the gospel in our neighborhoods, in our schools, at home, even in the online spaces that we find ourselves in right now, that you would help us to be able to demonstrate what it means to be a Christian. Lord, we submit to your will. We know you're in control and you're orchestrating events that we have no idea of. And so we pray, Lord, that you would be with us. You would continue guiding our hearts and give us the peace that we need now and the comfort. Help us to see the bigger picture, but also give us that confidence to step out knowing that you love us and all things are going to work out for our good because we are called by your name. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the church. Thank you for your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.